I got to tell you, I am so happy that the bye week comes almost perfectly at midseason for the Penn State football team because we can do a proper middle-of-the-season evaluation of the Penn State Nittany Lions through five games. They're 5-0. and They're a ranked team in the country. But what are they really? We'll be digging into the best performers, surprises, and all the important things that are coming up in the next half of Penn State's schedule. We're doing that with reporter Greg Pickle, who knows everything about every single sport and every single part of the Penn State football team because he covers all of it for Blue White Illustrated. That's coming up next on the BWI Daily Edition. I think possibly the most popular, most likable guy that Blue White Illustrated uh, employs. And that's saying something because there's a lot of likable people. Greg Pickle. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say a bad word about you, Greg. How are you doing today? I appreciate the kind words, T. Frank. I don't know how true they are, but I will accept <laughs> them. And it's good to be back here with you on The Daily Show, ready to rock and roll. It's amazing to me that the bye week is already here. But here we are almost halfway through it. This season feels a little bit like it's flying by, T. Frank. Yeah. I know that, obviously, uh, we can all get lost either as reporters or as fans or what have you and kind of the minutia of the week to week. But it's hard for me to believe that it's already October 5th. But here we are, and uh, Penn State is one step closer to getting back on the field. Every week feels like a month, and yet every month feels like a week. It's just the, the number of things that it. go on. Uh, it, it's a slog from a day-to-day perspective, but you're right. We are we are halfway through at this point. It's week six of the college football season. Of course, Penn State has played five games there in the bye week. We're going to be getting to some information and some updates from yesterday's press conference with James Franklin. He had it on Tuesday, so the team can uh, focus on the bye week and the coaches can go out recruiting. Uh, And we will be talking about some of his news and notes from yesterday. A couple minor things that he talked about. Uh, And then, of course, we're getting into a review of the first half of the season. Some of the best performers, some players that uh, Greg and I think need to play a little better or will have to step up for one reason or another. And, of course, we have uh, our our, uh, surprises, players, things that we didn't expect to go the way they did. All that coming up on the show. First thing I got to ask you, though, is please like the video. Every single time I ask, you guys respond. So that feedback loop is going to continue. 500 likes on the video would be amazingly appreciated. And tell your friends to subscribe to Blue Eyed Illustrated here on YouTube. Greg, there are there are 100,000 people that go to Beaver Stadium every weekend. So I know there are at least 100,000 Penn State football fans. I think that's an e- that, that should be a reasonable number to attain for us here on the show. That's the goal. Yes. Uh, I, I always set entirely way too high goals, but here we go. We're going there. Uh, let's get to it. Yesterday, James Franklin spoke with the media. We got a resolution on Saturday with Kaziah Izzard coming back and playing for the Nittany Lions at defensive tackle. He gave an update on Smith Vilbert. What did he have to say about the pass rusher for the Nittany Lions? Yeah, I think if you are a subscriber to BlueIllustrated.com, you would have picked up on this last week. Nate Bauer writing that, you know, James Franklin, when he addressed it a week ago or two weeks ago, I can't remember at this point, but when he mentioned T. Frank that Smith Vilbert was currently not available and that he had to have a conversation with Smith Vilbert before offering any more updates on his status, that that likely meant that he was going to be unavailable. That's how it went with Hakeem Beeman last season and some other examples of that as well. So uh, Nate was reading between the lines 
lines there correctly. So Smith Vilbert will not be available for Penn State the rest of the year. He has been seen in practice, so I would expect he will continue to get some time there. He was a scout team player of the week once already this season. So uh, whatever the situation is there, he's going to have to work his way back to the starting lineup or the rotation, at least on game day. And that's not going to happen this year. So, uh, you know, obviously he excited a lot of people, T. Frank, in the bowl game when he had three sacks against Arkansas in the loss to uh, the Razorbacks in the Outback Bowl. But, you know, that set the stage for what we thought was going to be a big offseason for him and a chance to take a step forward. But uh, that step's going to have to wait now and probably at least another year. So what's the impact then of not having Smith Vilbert? We've seen it now through the first couple of weeks of the season, what they've been like. But what's the do you do you sense a tangible impact of losing Smith Vilbert in this way? And and I guess what's your read on the situation in terms of how it's affected Penn State or not on the field? Yeah, I mean, look, I think that, again, obviously the Outback Bowl excited a lot of people, but that was the first real time we saw a flash from him. And so the question was going to be, could he replicate it uh, once he got to the 2022 season? And obviously that answer is no, because he's not even going to be on the field. But yeah, in terms of the impact, I just don't think it's much to, uh, you know, much. uh, There's not any reason to overhype it or make it sound more important than it is. Yeah, I mean, it would have probably been great to see him on the field, but Penn State has what it has. and We know what it has through five weeks and. You know, was he going to come back and immediately jump right into the fray? Uh, even, you know, if he did come back, I don't know. I mean, because I is or did. Obviously, yeah. he sat out the first month of the season and returned against Northwestern. So, I mean, you could probably look at it and say, yeah, he, he may have made an impact. But in terms of how much it impacts things moving forward, obviously, you know, you don't want to ever not have depth available because you never know when injuries are going to pop up. But to me, that's all this conversation is at this point. One where we sit here and say, you know, could he have been a depth piece? Could he have taken some reps off guys, you know, and that answer is maybe probably not. And at the end of the day, I don't think it has a huge impact on Penn State moving forward until it does, which, of course, would mean uh, if they had some injuries stack up at that defensive end position moving forward. Yeah, I think that's the important part, because if you look at the rotation, it's healthy and it's deep. So you've got a mean Vanover playing very well. Disa Isaac, uh, Nick Tarburton and, of course, Chop Robinson and uh, Denied Dennis Sutton is coming on strong as well. So Penn State could be six deep at defensive end if they had Smith Filbert, but they are five deep at defensive end, which is still a great place to be if you you are the Nittany Lions. What was your impression of Keziah Izzard getting back out there for the first his first game of the season? And that p- position in particular, I know we, we talked about the depth there as well, but do you see a situation where he is a more uh, useful player necessarily with, with in in regards to what he can do at that position given uh it doesn't look as stacked with high level performers as defensive end yeah, I mean, I think that it's pretty clear that if he was able to get into the rotation after missing the first four weeks of the season, uh, which he did against Northwestern, that kind of speaks to his ability as a player, but also speaks to where that defensive tackle rotation is. And right now, T. Frank, to me, it's a rotation that I think is getting better. I thought P.J. Mustafer played his best game of the year against Northwestern, and he seems to be rounding into form a bit uh, yeah. as he continues to work back from that injury he suffered. Let's not forget, it's not even been a year since he suffered that injury. So we're getting close to the year mark, but... Uh, Isn't it you know, today, actually? It, it may be today, actually, T. Frank. Yeah, now that you say that, I was actually, while I was talking, I was thinking uh, that I think that might be today would be the one-year anniversary of that. And October 9th is, actually, so early next week. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, so, uh, you know, just the fact that he's back and participating, we all know how serious that injury was, uh, it says a lot about him. But, yeah, you know, I think that when you look at the defensive tackle group, of course, I, I think Penn State had high hopes for Izzard, and we don't know what kept him off the field for the first four games 
games of the year, but he came back and I thought played pretty well on Saturday. And I, you know, you would expect him to only continue to get better as he gets more game reps, as he gets more opportunities to uh, take a step with this Penn State defense. So uh, time will tell, but ultimately I do think that he's important to have back. I'm just looking at his snap counts here, 16 snaps, uh, six of those came against the run, 10 against the pass. Uh, He finished with just an assisted tackle, but as we often say, uh, the defensive tackles tend to do more in the non-stat gathering departments than they do uh, the yeah. stat gathering ones in a lot of ways. Uh, obviously, P.J. Mustafer had a very good day on both regards. But, yeah, I think getting him back is big. It'll help moving forward, especially uh, next week at Michigan. I, I They've been lacking a lot of true three techniques behind Hakeem Beeman in this defense, and I think that's a key area that he can come in and contribute. And you see that playing 16 snaps your first game back. To me, that's an indication of they, they've been wanting that. Jordan Vandenberg has done a great job uh, as a depth player for the Nittany Lions, kind of being that key rotational piece. Now, I think from a pass rushing standpoint, Hakeem Beeman has been carrying the water for this team because I Izzard provides those abilities. But again, kind of talking about providing abilities versus production, that's been the line he has to cross but now you at least right. have the opportunity to see it happen and you're not relying on a guy like a freshman like zane durant who's played sparingly in games a lot of mop-up duty but you're not waiting for that to come on to get the, probably the the real depth of that rotation that you want you're back to a more full strength feel at that situation and then those situations with zane durant and kazai izzard and jordan vandenberg and all the kind of the depth players they can play themselves out without having to affect your top of the end lineup. So that, I think that what things worked out here over the first month of the season, about as good as you could hope for, right? Because right. it's not like those defensive ends were playing subpar and you're wondering where Smith Vilbert, they need to get him out there. And the defensive tackles, I think kind of feel the same way. So we're at halfway point of the season, discuss some of those things that have uh, happened so far this year. Uh, what is your stance of this team? What are they through five games? I think it's fair to say that they are exactly who we thought they were going to be. I don't think that it's unfair to say that many people thought Penn State would be 5-0, and and it is. Now, look, if you go back and read some stuff from August, you're going to find people that predicted Penn State to finish September with either a loss at Purdue or at Auburn. And to the Lions' credit, they were able to uh, go on to the road in both of those games and win. I think that says a lot about this team. Obviously, the last two weeks have been ugly, and you're not exactly sure how good Auburn is. They don't look very good, but uh, we'll see where things go there. Purdue, kind of the same thing, where they just beat Minnesota. Obviously, that was a huge win for them, but uh, they've looked off up and down at times as well. It's one of those seasons in college football where I think outside of the top tier elite of the elite, you kind of question who's really that good. And then even, I mean, look at Georgia, just, you know, had to fight and claw and and really uh, play into the wire to beat Missouri last week. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of teams across college football that are still kind of getting their full footing. uh, And that'll change here in the month of October. But this Penn State team is right where I thought it would be, T. Frank. It's unbeaten, but it still has some questions that we that it had going into the season uh, that are yeah. still present now, and that that's the offense and, and whether it can consistently score with Sean Clifford at the helm. And you know, we'll get into it here in a little bit. But will the receivers step up and make more plays? You know, does the defense have enough to carry the offense, and especially in the front seven when they face teams that run the ball a lot? Obviously, they yeah. did a really nice job of limiting Northwestern on Saturday, and maybe the. Uh, and, you know, the Auburn game was obviously another example of that where they were facing a team that would prefer to run the ball and feature the running backs and they shut them down as well. So I think you see a lot of good signs. 
Still worried about the kicking game. I'm not convinced you can rely on that in the fourth quarter late at Ann Arbor or at home against uh, Ohio State or Minnesota, quite frankly. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see how all that shakes out here moving forward. But at the end of the day, I think Penn State's exactly who we thought they could be, a team that is either in or on the cusp of the top 10, which they are in now, uh, and getting ready for its defining three-game stretch. It's the defining three-game stretch as always. There's right. one of those when, when Penn State has a good season, and it always involves this two of the same three teams. Uh, again, right. we'll get to that in just a little bit when we start to preview the second half of the season. Uh, what have your what have your opinion been of Manny Diaz's defense so far? Exceeding expectations, meeting expectations, or I or below expectations. I would be shocked if you said that part, but like what what <laughs> yeah. what what do you think so far? It's you know what I feel kind of similar this year, T Frank, to how I did last year, where I had some questions going in about the Penn State defense. But if you looked at it on paper with the athleticism and the talent and the speed, you could have made, and many people did make, a compelling case that the defense was going to be the strength last year. That turned out to be the case most games. And then this year, kind of the same thing. And I've been impressed by them. His energy on the sideline, we saw it from the first day we had the chance to watch him uh, at practice. He's just, you know, his energy and enthusiasm uh, come off on these guys and they play with the same swagger that he has and the same energy and enthusiasm that he has. And, I mean, you can see it. The Auburn game was kind of the coming out party for that uh, style of defense, and they've only gotten better with it since. I mean, they lead the nation in pass breakups by, like, almost 20. I, I yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's astounding to me that they are that far ahead of everybody else. But just they get the hand, their hands on the football a lot, and they do it in a clean way. They're not getting there early and breaking up a pass and drawing a flag. They're not yeah. reaching around and impeding the receiver to break a pass up and drawing a flag. They're doing it clean. They're doing it uh, in a nice, uh, productive way. And it's a lot of guys doing it, too. And I think that when you put it all together, this defense really has taken on his identity in a, in a hurry uh, through the first five weeks. And they talked a lot about being fast and physical and forcing turnovers and making defenses or, I'm sorry, opposing offenses struggle uh, to stay on schedule. They've done a very good job at all of that. Now, obviously, the biggest thing to clean up is it would be, uh, I think, very beneficial for everyone uh, within the Penn State football program if they could find a way to give up fewer of those third and nines, third and tens, third and fifteens, yeah. third and twenties. Yeah. They kill you. And they have not really hurt Penn State yet in a win-loss perspective, but at some point you can't keep doing that and not have it cost you a game. So I think that's really the big thing now, T. Frank, moving forward is getting that fixed during this bye week and uh, making sure that whatever is causing those issues is fixed and fixed for the second half of the season. Yeah, and we'll get into some of that with our uh, areas of concern, some of our best performance, all that stuff when it comes to this the team so far and the offense and the defense. One last question about the team overall. What is the personality? Because we always talk about this. What is the personality? What is the what is the uh, all this stuff? Kind of these storyline narratives that we talk about and that Nate Bauer writes about and that you write about. What is your opinion of what's the what is the personality of this team um, on offense? And uh, we kind of just talked about on defense, but offense and defense. Yeah, I think it's a confident swagger overall that is more emphasized and evidence on the evidence on the defense than it is on special teams or in uh, the offense. I just think that for whatever reason, T. Frank, we see these moments where whether it's Nick Singleton or Katron Allen or Kevon Lee, uh, they get in the space and they just make everyone remember why they were so highly regarded as recruits and why everyone was so excited to see them out on the field. But at the same time, you know, 
Uh, this offense is clearly one that is not always going to fire on all cylinders. We saw that against Northwestern. We saw that a little bit against Central Michigan. I mean, it, it's one where, unlike the defense, where you can count on it doing its job almost every time out there, the offense has not yet got to the point where it can do that a majority of the time. And so I think that it's hard to say this team is firing on all cylinders and can be identified as tough and physical and fast on both sides of the ball because the offense just isn't quite there yet. And, you know, know, we can talk until we're blue in the face about the quarterback situation and and whether that is a problem or if Mike Yersich gets too crazy on the pass or the run or what have you. I mean, we can talk about all those things and they're fair and they're things we talked about last year. But I think at the end of the day, Penn State knows what it wants to be on offense. It knows how to do that. It just has to do it more consistently if it's going to get to the places it wants to get to. So let's get into it. Let's get into our best performers. Let's get to our award show. And that's where we're going to start. Um, the best performers, according to Greg Pickle, through the first five games of the season. Let's start with the offense. Who do you have? Yeah, so I mean, Olu Fashanu, obviously, I think jumps out to me as somebody who, if you've been following the draft world, he's been getting a lot of buzz. I think someone had him going like fifth overall last week. I'm not sure about all that. Overreaction! But... Yes, yeah. big time. But... It is fair to say, T. Frank, that he I think he's playing very well. And he's one of those guys yeah. that coming into this season, we thought, based on what we saw in the bowl game and from a little bit earlier in his career, we thought that he could be this guy that's a true standout. But, you know, at the end of the day, we didn't know it, uh, if it would come to fruition until we were able to see it on the field. And to me, he has been everything I think anyone could have hoped he would be so far. I don't have the PFF info in front of me. You probably have it memorized, but I have to think he has been uh, rewarded with his, you know, his play has been rewarded by them. Obviously, they look at things in a slightly different lens than most people do, so maybe there's some areas to, to work on there, but ultimately, I do think that he's been one of the better players on offense, and it's helped that offensive line uh, in most games look better than I think most people have expected it yeah. to so far. So let me give you, the as you, you say there, the PFF stats, his uh, pass blocking grade, 86.3. At one point, he was the number one pass protector in the nation. That's fallen off a little bit in the last couple of weeks, uh, just in terms of uh, the number of pressures haven't necessarily gone up, but they the quality of the times he's been defeated has gone up. Uh, and then as a run blocker, I think this is the biggest area when people talk to me about being uh, a, the number five overall draft pick in, in the class of 2023 and being a guy that goes to the NFL draft, we can talk all we want. And James Franklin can say his play strength is so great. And as a pass protector, I absolutely see it because he can anchor, he can adjust, he can do all those things. But as a run blocker, there's a lot of work to do. And uh, the guys that we've seen go to the NFL uh, and be successful in their first season, none of them are 19. And Olafishanu is still 19 years old. So he that is... Physically, he has he's got such a great baseline now with his pass protection and he's solidified the left side of that pocket. How much better do Penn State fans feel about Olufashanu blocking the blind side than they did for what was going on in 2021? And that's kind of given this overall confidence, I think, to the offense, uh, even if it isn't necessarily translating through the air right away. You feel like Sean Clifford's going to have a clean pocket more times than not. But in the run game. Getting to blocks is where they are right now, but not executing them to a higher level. That's still an area of growth for uh, Fashanu, especially, but kind of 
generally overall. So you're absolutely right about that. What other players on offense do you see as guys that have been the best performers so far? Yeah, I think that you would not, you can't really go any further in this conversation and not mention the freshman running back, T. Frank, Nick Singleton, yeah. and Nicholas Singleton, and Katron Allen. Both of those guys have made tremendous strides and have shown a tremendous ability through the first five weeks. And, you know, when Penn State's offense is at best, it's when those two guys are reading plays right, not trying to do too much, just taking what defenses and the offensive line and tight ends are giving them uh, and exploding through holes or uh, making a man miss and getting downfield so uh, it's just so uh, refreshing I guess to talk about the Penn State run game in more of a positive light T Frank now I think sometimes we have to reel it back in a little bit if you look at the yards per carry number especially against Northwestern I mean they were okay not great so uh, you know even though Penn State ran the ball a lot so they got their yards but in terms of the actual average per carry it was probably a little bit lower than what they would like but yeah those two guys have been electric they've been great they've held Penn State win games they were able to block uh, obviously the turnovers got to get cleaned up that we saw against Northwestern but you got to mention those two here and then Brenton Strange I think has been terrific so far this season at tight end Uh, we know that that's a position group that's a source for many fans and with good reason after last season and all the hype versus the production but you know he has played really well and he's had to play a lot of snaps Theo Johnson obviously had a delayed start to his season we haven't seen Tyler Warren uh, at least we didn't see him last week so not sure what's up there but Brendan Strange has been asked to take on a lot and he has answered the bell and to me uh, is playing the best football of his Penn State career. So let me give you a stat that I think is indicative of what you're talking about here and I think that these running backs uh, this is this is always a situation where you see something good, especially out of somebody who's young, and you go, okay, great. There's so much room for growth here. Do it all right now. <laughs> and that's completely right. unfair to these, these two young uh, football players. But here is a stat that I just looked up quickly. And again, uh, PFF stats blew my mind. Kevon Lee last season broke 30 tackles. The two freshman running backs right now through five games combined 30 broken tackles. So they are on pay, pace to both be at that level so right. you have double the amount of opportunity to, to get more yardage when when you are uh breaking tackles and getting more after the carry and both of them by the way have great averages after the carry so nick singleton obviously five yards after the carry when he breaks a tackle that's why you want him to break more tackles because every time he breaks a tackle it goes for a big run right and that was going back to the northwestern game that was kind of indicative of the story of that game to me was early in the game, they got the running backs, whether it was Kevon Lee, Nick Singleton, or Katron Allen, they got them to the safety. Their goal was to get a one-on-one with the safety, whether it was whatever scheme it was. They were able to do that routinely, and they weren't able to break that tackle to go get an explosive run. And then after a while, when you run 50 times, a team's going to figure out what you're doing. So, you know, in particular, that game and how maybe that felt like a slog, it was because it was raining really hard, but that's another facet of that. But I agree with you overall. These these two young players have been the driving force. You, you saw they were the engine that was driving that game and previous games as well. On the defensive side, who do you have as your best performer so far? Yeah, so I mean, I think obviously we could just boil this down to the secondary, but one guy in particular I'd like to shout out, it's the key Wheatley. Uh, yeah, he, he moved from corner to safety for Penn State, uh, is not the starter and is not even playing the second most number of snaps here because Jalen Reed and Jair Brown currently lead the Lions in safety snaps, and Reed's been good too. But the reason that Wheatley is my pick here is just because we know he has a nose for the football, and he certainly is yeah. dead on display uh, through the start of his second season in blue and white. But look, he's been good. Jair Brown 
Brown's been good. Jalen Reed's been good. Obviously, if you move the corner, uh, you have some other guys that need shout-outs. Joey Porter Jr., Kalen King, uh, Johnny Dixon. I mean, they're just getting such strong play from that position group in the secondary right now. It's it's taking a lot of pressure off of uh, the front seven and and especially the defensive line who – you know, again, I think that we'll get into this here in a second, but some of the stats and and things may be a bit skewed based on the formations and schemes that they've played. And, you know, does the defensive line really get a fair opportunity to pass rush in some of these games? The answer is no, right. but uh, right. it doesn't mean they can't do more. But anyway, I just think that the secondary playing at the level it has really is kind of the when you talk about the personality of the defense, I think the secondary kind of embodies it. They're fast, they're physical, uh, they're not willing, unwilling rather to celebrate a big play, and they make a lot of big plays that are worthy of celebration so yeah i think when you look at those guys and and, and you know what they're capable of uh, certainly they are the standouts in that defense so far to me here's a stat that i think is very important to understand uh and some context to this particular group versus last year and by the way uh working on an article uh, comparing 2021 to 2022 for both sides of the ball the defensive article uh should be out by the time you're watching this so i'll give you one of the stats that kind of blew my mind um the, they have forced 32, I believe it is, incompletions so far yeah. through five games. Penn State secondary last year, who was th- that that group was great, high level players, 18 forced incompletions. So, like, it's double the amount of times they forced right. the ball into uh, a pass breakup. Part of that is by the scheme, you know, the blitzing and the pressure. Penn State has forced the ball out of the quarterback's hands in 2.3 seconds or less on average, in three out of the five games. So the ball has to come out quick, and it's coming out into bad looks for the quarterback because these defensive backs are playing at a high level. You're not forcing it into a wide-open throw. I think Kalen King, to me, is he hasn't had maybe some of the spectacular highlight plays. Johnny Dixon's had some great plays. Wheatley's had some highlight plays. Kalen King has not made as many mistakes, and he's playing really clean football getting his hands out there and batting away a lot of passes. And of course, you know, then he throws in the highlights of forcing fumbles and things like that. So to me, as much as Joey Porter Jr. is the lockdown shutdown guy, the guy that's making the most plays right now by proxy, I think is Kalen King, who's playing at a very high level. So those are our offensive and defensive standout players. Now let's go to the other side. Players that you think in this second half of the season need to either raise their level of play or contribute more because of things that are going to happen throughout the next part of the season. So let's start again on offense. Who are the players that need to step up? Yeah, I think it's the receiver room in general, but that's going to be headlined by Harrison Trey Wallace, the uh, Nittany Lion, who if Keandre Lambert-Smith is not able to play against Michigan or beyond because of the f- in foot injury he appeared to have suffered against Northwestern, uh, then Trey Wallace is going to have to be the guy that takes the next big step for Penn State. And we've seen some flashes from him, but I thought we'd see more by now in terms of production, T. Frank. I just haven't really uh you know fallen in love with his game yet and, and what he's been able to produce and I think that that is something that Penn State's gonna need even if Keandre Lambert Smith is healthy. They need guys who can stretch yeah. this defense or stretch opposing defenses. They need guys who can make big explosive plays. He has seven catches for 86 yards right now. It's an average of a little more than 12 yards per catch. So yeah. he's been involved in the offense but you know I, I just expected more from him at this point and I think that for Penn State to uh, be able to thrive on offense again, whether it's with Keandre Lambert Smith or not, they're going to need more out of him and just the receiver room overall. I thought that was going to be a strength for the team this year, yeah. and it's been okay, but I've yet to be wowed by it in a game this season. I think that's something that needs to change. 
that's one of those situations where when you come into the season, a lot of us were expecting things from him because of what we heard in the off season and, uh, and, and kind of the buzz of what we saw around Trey Wallace every time we got a chance to see him. Is it, and I know that this is kind of, hey, peer into somebody else's mind and tell me what you see, but is it a lack of confidence? I think especially for me, I saw a bit of hesitation, a little bit of lack of confidence from him in that last game. And is do you think that that's, first off, accurate? And secondly, is that something that you think sh- can change for a player during the course of a season? Yeah, I do. I think it just all comes down to opportunities and what you do with them. And, you know, again, I think some of the passes that have been thrown his way have been put in places that he's just not going to routinely be able to come down with them. And then some yeah. other ones he probably should have. But, yeah, I think it all comes down to opportunity, T. Frank, and what you do with it. And if you have had some struggles and you need to kind of reset, this is a good time to do it during the bye week, and they're going to need him to. Uh, any other offensive players that in, that you think need to step up uh, and play better for Penn State to have a successful second half of the season? Yeah, you know, I think the offensive line has played well, so maybe it's not fair to put the interior of the offensive line in here, but I do want to see a little bit more push from them. I think the rotation has worked fine at the guard spots, and obviously Juice Scruggs is at center now, but, yep. you know, there are games where those guys, you know, when Penn State gets beat, it can be Caden Wallace, but I'm not going to sit here and just endlessly pick on him because I know enough of that's been done, but, yep. you know, uh, they get beat up the middle a little too often, too, at times, so I think that's one group as well that could probably take a step forward, but it wouldn't be a bye week if we weren't sitting here talking about the offensive line possibly needing to step <laughs> up in the second half of the season. So here we are. Yeah. Uh, no one should be surprised by this. I'm going to go one step further and I'm going to single out one player. And again, it's a young player that maybe we're expecting too much of, but I'm just, I want to know what's going on with Landon Tangwall because it's not just that he's a young player playing for the first time, like extended snaps. He doesn't look like the same football player that he did last year. I know we didn't get to see a lot of plays from him, but the level of play is, is not what I was expecting from a confidence factor. Once again, talking about that. Uh, and that really boils down to executing your assignment and, and hesitation I'm seeing from him. And I was not expecting that part because he came in as a more advanced young player, both physically and some of the advantages he had of showing good positional fundamentals on tape. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if there's an injury that he's dealing with that we haven't talked about. I don't know if there's some sort of because we back in the spring, there was this discussion of they couldn't feel the full offensive line, didn't have enough players. Is that something that we have to consider that we haven't yet? Because the the stark difference to me in what I saw last year to this year is, is surprising. And, and I put a lot of my money in the land and tang wall stock. And it's, I know like, I don't want to short sell it. I really don't want to short sell it because I believe in his talent long-term, but that's one area you got juice. Scruggs playing pretty well. Caden Wallace is a good run blocker. Needs to improve in his pass protection. But if you get higher variance from that left guard position, whether it's Hunter Norzad or land and tang wall, that left side of the line is great. And that's kind of what we were right. talking about this, but we haven't seen the high end stuff yet from Landon Tangwall. So I, I, that's my player here. Um, I'm just curious about that. And on the defensive side, who are you, who are you looking at and saying, I'm surprised by this lack of performance or player that you think is going to be pivotal that they need to raise their level of play going forward. 
Yeah, I mean, I think let me start with the second half of that point first. I mean, Adisa Isaac coming back from injury has seven tackles. Four and a half of those are for loss. So when he is producing, he's producing well. But he's a guy that I think when we talk about the pass rush needing to take a step forward and maybe be a little bit more productive and maybe there'll be some opponents where their skill set is allowed to shine through in a more easier way compared to some of these teams they face. He's a guy that I think is going to be important here in the second half of the season. Uh, Penn State, for better or worse, does not really have have an Arnold Ebiketti like game record right now. Adisa Isaac again with four and a half tackles for loss uh, can be considered close to that. That leads the team, uh, you know. And I think that you know when you look at the future of what this team is going to face, they're going to need to make some disruptive plays uh, from the yeah. front four. And I think Adisa Isaac's one of those guys that can do it. Chop Robinson's another one, but I want to see him continue taking steps back as he works his way back uh, from that injury that he suffered that kept him out last year. Yeah, I, I think that's a very fair point. Uh, depending on who you talk to, he's already had that breakout performance. And this is kind of the context I was trying to give to the Auburn game is that he got a lot of pressures in that game, but they were unblocked pressures, which is you got to look at that in one in, in two ways. First off, he got pressures when they were designing the play to, to let him free, which right. means that shouldn't happen. And it did. So impressive get off. But that then then that comes back to the quarterback. What is the quarterback doing that he's holding on the ball on an RPO? Like, what are you doing there? And, um, you know, just the defeating blocks is always harder than if you're fast and you run in a straight line and you get to the quarterback. And I'm, it always comes back to, it sounds like you're trying trying to take something away from a D size. Like I'm trying to be balanced about this, but when it comes to actually defeating the blocks and getting the quarterback, there have been less of those. And there have been more for him in terms of chase plays, effort sacks, Chop Robinson gets somebody out of the pocket. He cleans it up. You need that. But in terms of guys dominating on both sides of the line of scrimmage, on both sides of the tackle box, we haven't really seen that. But I do think that comes back to our biggest surprise on the defensive side of the ball, which we'll get into right now. uh, And that would be Chop Robinson, right? Yeah, to me, just because I think we all knew that he was such a highly regarded player out of high school that it was likely he would make an impact on this team in 2022. But he's done a little bit quicker and better than I would have anticipated. It's not... It should sound, it should be easy, I guess, for a guy to move from linebacker to defensive end. He loses some responsibilities and gets to do some things that just come to him naturally. But I think his transition has been really impressive. He seems like a great locker room presence and he's put up some strong plays uh, so far through these first five weeks. You know, he has nine tackles, two and a half for loss, one sack. Pass breakup, three quarterback hurries, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. So he's played very well so far, and I think the ceiling can continue to be the limit for him. Uh, I think it's the same kind of a thing with Isaac, though, is that what can these guys do next? Because these three games are going to need pressure from the front four. I know Manny Diaz is always going to be aggressive, and they're going to blitz from all different angles and you know things like that. But at some point, they're going to need these guys to really step up and be a force if they want to win uh, all three of these games. Uh, and so you know, he's one guy I'm keeping a close eye on here in the second half of the season because I think that if we're calling him a biggest surprise now, we could call him one of the best performers by the end of the year. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, I would say that, to me, he's already there. Part of the situation is, you know, quarterbacks holding on to the football. And Arnold Ebikidi against Graham Mertz got out to a great start. Penn State right. is not, with the way the defense plays and the Manny Diaz's reputation and as many pressure looks as they give the offense, quarterbacks aren't holding on to the football. And they haven't been forced to, for the most part, right. because the offense has not put the uh, the opposing offense in a situation where they have to chase. But here are the numbers through uh, five games. Another part of what I, I researched today. 22 total pressures for Adisa, I, for um, Arnold Ebikidi last season through five games. 
nine quarterback hits. Chop Robinson has 18 pressures and five hits, both lower on the sack total, higher on disruptive plays. So I don't right. think he's far off of being that Arnold Ebikiti guy. The difference to me has been in run defense and kind of the complete game because he's a young player versus a guy coming from Temple that is ready to move on to the NFL after the, the next season. So right. the, the ceiling here is, you know, like you just said, the ceiling is as high as it you want it to be as long as he continues to get better and those difference-making plays continue to happen. And right. so far, he's made timely ones, but uh, Penn State hasn't really, in any of these games, needed him to get a strip sack fumble against Michigan to set up a, a scoring play late in the game so that Penn State goes up by certain. We'll see if that happens going through the next part of the season. What do you see elsewhere on the team as far as biggest surprises? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's the most obvious one of all, and that's that Penn State's played Drew Aller in four of the first five games. And now look, yep. game situation uh, at Purdue forced him onto the field, and then in other games, Penn State being able to get a lead allowed him to, to see time. But, I mean, we have yet to see this in the James Franklin era, this much extensive play for the backup quarterback. And I know it's 2022, and there's a lot of things to consider, and he's obviously one of the best talents they've brought in a quarterback uh, in the James Franklin era, so that plays a role too. But you know, surprise, I guess, because they committed to it. You know, he talked earlier in the year about they were going to build depth and they were going to be committed to building depth. And it's great to say it in the offseason, but do you really do it once the season gets here? And they have. And it's not just been with Drew Aller. It's been with Zane yep. Durant and Deny Dennis Sutton and the two freshman running backs. So, you know, there's been some other guys seeing time as well. K.J. Winston, Cam Miller. You know, this they, they thought this could be the freshman class that maybe put the most players into game action in quite some time. And it sure as heck has been. So, yeah. but just the fact that they've committed to getting Aller into the game, I know fans want to see him against Northwestern and that didn't work out. And whether it should have or not, it's going to endlessly be debated the rest of this week and next until they get to Michigan. But yeah, right. ultimately the, the fact that they stuck with their plan for him for the most part, they've mentioned a couple of times now wanting to get him in, in the second quarter and not being able to do so. But yeah, all told, I think that, that's one of the bigger surprises in a good way to me is how they've been able to get him action already throughout this season. Yeah. I'd say his play has been the biggest surprise to me so far this season, even in mop up duty. And and I, I said this a couple times and I, I know I, this is the problem. I'm trying the reasonable thing to do. The mature decision of all the rational wise people is that the veteran will get you through better than the freshman. And uh, the six-year quarterback does things that the freshman can't do. And we haven't seen enough of Drew Aller to know what those things are and they are not. But I'm having a hard time, Greg, that every single time I see him in a comparable situation in the Purdue game where he goes in there and throws, I know it's a limited sample size, but throws a beautiful pass to Tyler Warren. We didn't. We saw maybe one of those uh, in the next two games from Sean Clifford. In the Ohio game, a comparable time when, Yes, the, they, it was garbage time, but the Ohio starting defense was out there and Drew Aller put up explosive plays as a quarterback. So every time I see them in a comparable situation, Drew Aller performs better. And, and that's been very hard for me in this conversation of do you play Aller, do you blah, 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 to be like, you know what? You've got to stay with the veteran knowing what the veteran is. So we don't have to have that conversation today. It's just his play has forced me to reevaluate at least – open the idea that it, it wouldn't be the worst idea in the world if you gambled with the freshman at some point this right. season if you get into trouble. Um, the the next thing I'd say, and my, my last thing here, and then we'll move on to looking ahead, is Abdul Carter. His play, again, right. I expected him to play, but playing so well 
has been a bit of a surprise. I, you know, we knew the talent. I knew he's a mature kid, but to get it so quickly is still, that's an exceptional thing to do. The next three games, all anyone cares about. During right. the Central Michigan game, I heard, can they do it against Michigan? During the Northwestern game, I heard, can they do it against Michigan? So what about Michigan? What do you think about uh, the next three games coming up? How do you think Penn State can fare? And what do you know about those teams? So I wrote in my Tuesday takes on October 4th that I think Penn State finishes his stretch 2-1. and one. A win at Michigan, a win at home against Minnesota, and a loss to Ohio State. I just think the Buckeyes, even though they're coming to Beaver Stadium, have just too many pieces and too many weapons that I, I just don't – I have a hard time envisioning Penn State keeping pace with this Ohio State Buckeyes offense. Now, obviously, we all know the success Penn State has had against the Buckeyes at Beaver Stadium, and if they're undefeated going into that game, it'll mean, obviously, a whole different level of play uh, from Penn State. And, and, you know, Ohio State is considered one of the better teams in the country. But, you know, I look at this Michigan game, T. Frank, and there's just something that feeling I get. I, I'm not overly enamored by Michigan. I think that they're a good team, and I, I don't think they're a top four team, which is where they're currently ranked. I think they're a top mm -hmm. ten team for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but I just see Penn State's defense doing enough to allow the Lions, if they don't turn the ball over on offense, to get out of there with a surprising road win, I think it will be to most people. They're going to go into that game somewhere between a four-and-a-half and six-and-a-half, seven-point underdog, and mm -hmm. uh, they're going to have to earn it. And we all know the history of success there, and I don't want to hear about how they won at the big house in 2020. That is not the big house they've played in otherwise. So, I mean, <laughs> right. So, you know, yeah, it was great they went out there and did it, but yeah, <laughs> it's a big difference. Big difference. So, yeah. Uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, the game's going to be at noon, as we now know, and it won't be in some kind of frenzied uh, primetime environment, but it's going to be loud. It's going to be a Michigan crowd. And can Penn State keep composed and not turn the ball over and play well enough on defense to win? I, I personally think it can. I don't think Minnesota is as concerning as everyone wants to make that out to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, just lost to Purdue, and that reinforces my point a little bit, but I've been writing it for a couple of weeks now. I don't think that they are as concerning as, as everyone wants to make them out to be. I think they can play into some of the strengths of Penn State's defense on offense, and I think we've seen that you know they can give up some points on defense in a whiteout environment, no less. I, I just don't see Penn State losing that game. But So I see them coming out of this at 2-1, and one. and then obviously you would be – uh, in November with still a shot at, at getting into the Big Ten title game if Michigan knocked off Ohio State or if somehow else uh, picked up a loss. So we'll see. But, you know, ultimately, uh, I think that this Penn State team is probably a little bit further along than I thought it was going to be. It still has some questions. And the kind of questions that could make them lose at Michigan and to yep. Ohio State, uh, again, I just don't see a loss to Minnesota. But, uh, you know, one and two would not shock me either. But I'm, I'm going to go with two and one right now. Yeah, I, I that was – that was my prediction preseason as well. It just it generally, I'm unimpressed with J uh, Jim Harbaugh's teams, and and that I was a little more impressed with this one when I watched it. But again, like you, I haven't gone into uh, full depth, you know, a full depth review of what they do. That'll be coming up in the next ten days or so. You know, before the game, we'll get you that information, a preview of the Michigan Wolverines. Okay, so last couple minutes here, let's talk about Penn State wrestling because uh, there was a the schedule was released. You. We're on top of all of that stuff. So what is the highlight? What's the big takeaway from the Penn State wrestling schedule? Yeah, so it's hard to believe, T. Frank, that as we sit here and talk, the Penn State wrestling season is only a little less than a month away. It kicks off at home at Rec Hall on November 11th against Lock Haven at 7 p.m. We don't have time, or I'm sorry, we don't have TV info yet for these matches, so keep an eye out for that at BlueWayIllustrated.com. But uh, we do know that the Penn State will be at the Bryce Jordan Center twice this year. They will host Michigan and Iowa there in January. Uh, Kale Sanderson has kind of hinted before at the idea of having more than one match a year at Rec Hall. So with these two 
high caliber opponents coming to town, they figure, what the heck, let's go over to the basketball arena and and, and wrestle over there in front of 17,000 people, whatever it ends up being. So I think that's pretty neat. They obviously keep the rec hall tradition as well. So uh, exciting times for Penn State Wrestling, obviously defending national champions, and they have multiple individual national champions back. So uh, as we always say on this show, T. Frank, the sky is typically the limit for Penn State Wrestling, and they almost always get right to the sky and, uh, and surpass it. So I think Penn State fans will be excited about this year's team as well. Is there anything else on the horizon for wrestling the fans should know about that that uh, you're keeping an eye on? Uh, at this point in time, no. So we finally got the schedule, which was nice. Uh, and the next yeah. thing we'll get is an updated roster. So uh, we'll be able to see if there's any newcomers, any subtractions, things like that. But yeah, for the most part, I think Penn State fans know what they're getting at most weight classes. They got some things to figure out at 125 and you know 149, 165, things like that, 157. And I think a lot of those answers are already had. But you know, we'll see. There's a lot of competition going on right now in that room, as there always is with you when you recruit at a high level as Kale Sanderson and his coaching staff do so uh, i'm assuming we'll hear from them soon as the team continues to ramp up practices and before we know it t frank we're going to have football hockey hockey starts this weekend football hockey basketball and a few other sports all rocking and rolling at the same time it gets busy this time of year that's what makes it fun you need a planner you need to make sure that you have a very strict tv regimen so you can get all of your penn state uh uh, games on and you can watch them all or you can go to them that's i think one of the fun things that a lot of fans like to do is you know come in for a home game come in a little bit early catch a hockey game maybe see wrestling the next day on sunday and make it a full weekend of penn state sports that is yep. just around the corner one last thing former penn state uh wrestlers going to the ufc there have been a couple of them that have performed well but really bo nickel has been the guy that has has really started to have a bit of a star vibe around him you know and i don't follow ufc i don't know if you follow ufc closely but what are the chances here of him making it to a significant stage and being a part of kind of the national consensus of of ufc fighters yeah, I mean, they brought him along in a smart way. They kept him on Dana White's contender series through the end of it. Now, I, I'm not I'm not totally convinced some of that didn't have to do with the ESPN Plus signups, but that's a different conversation. But, yeah, gotcha. I mean, they're bringing him along well. Uh, he has, you know, I want to see him fight someone with some teeth. I'm not sure any of the, the people he has faced so far really fit into that mold. But uh, he's taking care of business. You know, all you can do is beat the guy in front of you. And he has walloped everyone quickly, efficiently, impressively. Uh, he's good on the microphone, which I think yeah. is why you see so many headlines about him. He's on social media and active. So uh, he's a star. Penn State wrestling does not need this to help recruiting, but it certainly can't hurt. Uh, right. Even though, like, as, we've, as we've always talked about, the embarrassment of riches just keeps piling up for that program. But yeah, it'll be fun to see him get into the UFC now. And I know his first fight date is set and uh, it's in December and we will see what he does in that fight. I don't have the specific date in front of me. I might be able to quickly pull it up here, but um. You know, I'm very interested to see what he will do with that experience and where things go from there. December 10th in Vegas is going to be his UFC debut. So uh, we'll see. But, yeah, it's fun to follow, and he is taking care of business so far, and we'll see if he continues to do so. He's confident he can, and time will tell. It'll be fun to watch. It's always fun to watch when uh, some former Penn Stater or somebody that you followed closely from the beginning of their career goes on and does exceptional things, and the whole world starts to take notice. And, And with UFC being a very international thing, could be cool to see. So, Greg, always cool to see you. Thank you for coming and spending time with us today on the BWI Daily Edition. It's a pleasure as always, T. Frank. We'll talk soon, buddy. 
We will. And make sure you are with us when that happens. Subscribe to Blue White Illustrated here on YouTube. And if you're listening to the podcast, thank you for being one of our army of people that are downloading, watching, rating, subscribing, reviewing. Please continue to do that. And as always, tell your friends about the BWI Daily Edition. We'll be back tomorrow with a mailbag. Nate Bauer and I are back answering your questions. Stay tuned for that. Talk to you then.